This episode was created on traditional, unceded Coast Salish territories of the Songhees and Wasanich people. You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host for today, Max Monday. With me in the studio is Stacy Ross, PhD student in neuropsychology. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Okay, Stacy, your main focus involves recovery after brain injury. Can you tell us more about that? So basically, during the course of my studies, I've looked at different aspects of recovery after brain injury. And so essentially, the things that I'm interested in are after an individual sustains an injury and they maybe go to the hospital, maybe do some rehab, maybe they don't, it all depends. Once they're back in the community, back in their homes, trying to reintegrate into their lives, what are the aspects of that? So what things might interfere with that? What is the individual's experience after the injury and trying to get back into their life? So those are the types of things that I'm interested in that I've studied. When we're talking brain injury, what are we talking about? Oh, okay. Yes. So I mean, uh, basically, a, a brain injury is obviously any injury that can occur to your brain. So they can kind of be classified into two main groups. The kind of all-encompassing group is acquired brain injury. And basically that's any type of thing, incident, that causes damage to your brain. So whether that's a stroke, a tumor, you know, an anoxic injury, like where somebody doesn't have enough oxygen for whatever period, their heart stops, people can sustain a brain injury that way. And then the other group, which is included in acquired brain injury is traumatic brain injury. And I think that's what a lot of people think of when they hear the term brain injury. So that includes, you know, the concussions or mild brain injuries up to, you know, more severe brain injuries where somebody falls from a great height or is an assault. So it's a traumatic accident that happens to somebody that causes the injury. Yeah. Okay. So injury meaning uh, things that happen, not uh, per se things that you were born with. Yeah, so it's some type of, yeah, so it's not, um, yeah, generally not something you're born with. I mean, there are some children can have uh, kind of strokes during the birthing. Yeah, but um, if somebody is, is born with some type of difficulty or an abnormal brain development, that wouldn't necessarily be considered like an acquired brain injury because they're born with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the you let me know that the one that you're mostly focusing on is concussions, correct? Yeah. So right now, so yeah, my dissertation is focusing on aspects that hopefully <laughs> are important after uh, to recovery after a concussion. Okay. And what was the word that you used with me? It was a mild? Yeah. Uh, mild traumatic brain injury, uh, TBI, is uh, what the actual definition of a concussion is. So if you've had a concussion, you have sustained some degree of a mild brain injury. For most people, it is just kind of, you know, the bump on their head. They might see stars a little bit. They might have that moment of where they kind of lose consciousness or just they don't really remember what happened, but they generally kind of get back to life and everything is good. There are a smaller percentage of people who sustain concussions or mild TBIs who then go on to have long-term or persistent difficulties. And you're focusing more on like the short-term after effects, correct? Yeah, well, it's funny. Like medically, um, I'm looking at uh, more chronic. I'm looking at individuals a year post-injury. I mean, really in in the big scheme of things, that isn't that long-term. But yes, medically, that would be considered kind of the chronic 
post-injury period. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen short term as in like a few hours, right? Exactly. Yeah. What complications or what are some complications that have been recorded uh, from the patients that you've been working with, concussed patients? Well, to be honest, I mean, I'm kind of still in the in the data collection period. So I haven't done too much looking into my own data so far. And I mean, there's all kinds of different difficulties, though, that people can experience after a mild TBI or a concussion. So, you know, things like in terms of cognitive difficulties or thinking difficulties. So they might feel that they think slower. They might have trouble kind of holding information in their brain in order to use it. Like if somebody tells you a phone number, holding that phone number in your head until you have to dial it, that can then interfere with people's ability to acquire new information, make new memories. Also difficulties kind of with a a more emotional or psychological difficulties. So anxiety and depression can be quite common. And then, yeah, kind of the social aspects. So things I was talking about earlier, kind of trying to reintegrate into into their lives, especially if they are having cognitive or emotional difficulties. So can, those can definitely impact a person's ability to get back to what they were doing mm-hmm. before. It's kind of like one impacts the other and kind of goes around. Oh, it's fascinating that some people experience anxiety and depression after a, um, after a TBI or a mild TBI. Mm-hmm. Is it difficult to find that out in people? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the individual and the type of difficulties that they're having. I mean, in terms of anxiety, some people are pretty aware that, you know, they know what anxiety feels like. They know that that's what they're experiencing. And Mm -hmm. so that can be a little bit easier to identify. Or if, for example, somebody's having more post-traumatic stress symptoms, then those can be kind of teased apart with careful kind of clinical interviews and things like that. But some people have difficulty identifying that what they're experiencing is anxiety, and then it can definitely be more difficult. Is it difficult to tell when someone sustains a concussion from assault or something like that? Mm. How can you tell the difference between whether it's caused by the concussion itself or whether it's caused by the the trauma that the person... Um, right. That the person, like... I think that's actually pretty impossible to tell, at least at this point, with where we are with our understandings of the brain and brain functioning and and how that influences our psychology. But in general, I think from, at least from my perspective, it doesn't really matter whether it is a purely brain problem or whether it's a more kind of psychological event related problem. Kind of once you figure out what the person is anxious about, what is making the individual anxious, then you try and deal with those underlying causes to help them manage the anxiety better. Your research is in neuropsychology. That seems as though it it does have a lot to do with both the scientific (laughs) air quotes scientific side of things Mm -hmm. as well as the psychology side of things. And so I guess Is there kind of like a fine line that you walk between that and saying like, okay, is this emotional versus is this like a physical thing that is being experienced? Well, yeah, the program that I'm in or the stream that I'm in in the psychology department is clinical neuropsychology. Mm -hmm. So basically um, within that field, we are trained clinical psychologists. So we do are trained to do therapy and all of the things that I think people typically think about when they think of what a psychologist does. And then we also get additional training in brain behavior relationships. So understanding what impact different areas of damage to the brain can have on on our behavior. So getting, I guess, more directly to your question. um, Yeah, I think neuropsychology does kind of tend to walk that line. I actually tend, because of my area of research, 
I've always kind of focused more on social and psychological influences, but some people are much more kind of hard science focused in mm -hmm. clinical neuropsychology. So it kind of really depends on on your bent and the things you're interested in. But yeah, we kind of have these two aspects to our training and so can kind of walk that line a little bit. Your research, how has it progressed our knowledge on uh, brain injury so far? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a hard question. I don't know, to be honest, which sometimes makes it a little difficult to stay engaged. <laughs> In, in research. I mean, I don't know if I can necessarily say that my particular research has drastically expanded our understanding of brain injury. Mm -hmm. I think what it has really done is expanded my understanding of brain injury. And because I personally and much more clinical focused, hopefully, I mean, I'm sure I won't surprise anybody in my department by saying this, I kind of just do the research because I have to. So I, f I really feel though that engaging in research has a helped me be a better consumer of research mm -hmm. I'm able to read studies that have been done on various treatments or things like that and kind of decide oh, is this a good study is this something I should listen to you know that type of thing and I think also just my exposure to brain injury survivors and their family members and it's just really improved my understanding of brain injury and kind of as best I can what that experience is like for people to try and help them mm -hmm. after their recovery yeah so have there been any case studies that you have found especially fascinating hmm. or have they pretty much been like, OK, so this is happening and now this is happening and we know that this happens. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think like in terms of my research, it's it's hard to say because, A, I think everybody's experience tends to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I can't think of one in particular, but I am often amazed or impressed by uh, a lot of people's ability to kind of grow after an injury. So accepting the stuff that has happened to them, and even though they don't like it and they hate it and it sucks, their ability to kind of be like, okay, it is what it is. I kind of have to play with the hand I'm dealt. So I just think that that interaction with people and just hearing people talk about that always impresses me. I mean, I think clinically I have run into definitely some very interesting cases along the way. So I've done three practica and a year-long internship where I've been working in a hospital setting. So I've definitely seen a lot of interesting cases. But in terms of my research, because I'm, despite my focus being kind of more psychological and social, I do take a quantitative approach. So it's things like self-report, questionnaires, and standardized measures of cognitive abilities. So I'm not doing case studies per se. So in terms of my research, I'm kind of looking more at the patterns of a group as opposed to one individual's story, I guess. We talked about how your research involves looking at people post TBI about a year ahead or a year mm -hmm. afterward. That's not super long. We talked about mm -hmm. how it's like not a very long time yeah. in, in the span of like a, a lifetime. Yeah. What differences do you think that you would see between short term? So we're saying short term is in a mm -hmm. year chronic, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, chronic and super long term, yeah. say five years, 10 years. Mm -hmm. brain injury patients yeah again there's so many kind of factors that play into it I mean I think the the severity of the injury so brain injury is um, if concussion is a mild brain injury it's it's rated on severity the way the person presents kind of when they first 
show up at a hospital or something like that. And so mm-hmm. mild, moderate, and severe are generally the three categories. So it really, in large part, it depends on the severity of the injury. But I think in terms of the most significant kind of neural recovery at this point, and I say at this point because even during my training, things have changed in terms of our understanding of the brain's ability to heal itself and, and um, neuroplasticity and stuff like that. But generally, kind of like a the largest recovery tends to happen in that first year. If individuals have a more severe injury, um, they can show some recovery after that, but it does kind of tend to plateau. And then it's more uh, individuals' ability to cope with the difficulties and, and accommodate for any difficulties they might be having, that type of thing. And that's kind of where you'll see improvement after that. I think in terms of just uh, like neurologically, there might not be that huge of a difference one year post compared to five years post compared to 20 years post. In terms of a person's presentation, so what they look like, how they act, what they're able to do, that may continue to improve. I think, and this I think is probably greatly simplifying it, but I think there's probably like two main streams of people, right? There are some people who, for whatever reason, just have a lot of difficulty kind of coming to that place of acceptance of the hand that they've been dealt. And that can make continued recovery really hard. You know, if you're in a bad place emotionally, it can be difficult to do the things you need to do to improve, obviously. Whereas on the other side, the individuals that are because they have really good support or for whatever reason are able to kind of get to that place where they are feeling kind of more accepting, they might continue to recover more afterwards. So I think it really yeah it kind of it depends on the person it depends on the injury yes it's a complicated question but i hope i kind of addressed what you were asking yeah totally (laughs) have you found that uh, many people are surprised by the severity of complications they receive after even a mild tbi Mm -hmm. yeah i think i hear from a lot of people either how little they knew about brain injury or how much sustaining a brain injury makes them realize how little other people know about a brain injury. So yeah, so I think a lot of people can be really surprised. I think now with concussion, we have just in terms of like popular media, we're hearing a lot more about it. And so we are hearing about cases of, you know, people having persistent difficulties afterwards. But I think that, yeah, I think that the persistence of difficulties that people can face and just kind of the breadth of areas that those difficulties can impact, I think, is surprising. And that's the stuff that doesn't necessarily uh, kind of rear its ugly head until a little bit later in the recovery stage when a person is trying to get back into home, back into work or whatever it is. You said that your research is less based on case studies and more based on quantitative Mm -hmm. research, things Mm -hmm. like um, tests and whatnot. Mm -hmm. What are the benefits of that? Basically, I think both definitely has benefits. Qualitative research, which is more like case studies. And I, for anybody who might be listening who does qualitative research, I cannot do it justice because I don't know qualitative research methods. It is a completely different approach to research, a completely different approach to analysis. And so, yeah, so they are very, very different entities. Was it a thing that you learned in um, like in your studies how to do quantitative versus qualitative? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think 
more people in psychology are starting to do uh, qualitative research. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's still like we're taught in undergrad statistical methods for quantitative data. So that's kind of where I went just because I know it. But I definitely think that it is an area that a lot of the research on some of the things I'm looking at, like identity after brain injury, are tend to be looked at in a more qualitative way. So I definitely think that is it is an area of research that could be it could benefit from additional qualitative research for sure. Would mild TBI patients be of more, I use air quotes again, use mm-hmm. uh, to the neuropsychology research that you're doing if they go to someone who does more qualitative or more quantitative? So do you mean like a specific individual? Would a specific individual get more out of qualitative versus quantitative like participation in that type of research? Or do you mean like as a population, individuals with brain injury in general would benefit more from one or the other? Um, let's start with the, the individual themselves. Okay. Do you think that it would be better for them to go to quantitative or qualitative? Well, I think in, I think in terms of, at, at least again, from what I know of qualitative research, basically it tends to be quite driven by the participant so the experimenter will have you know maybe some kind of open-ended questions that they are asking each individual or or a group of people might come together and then the participants just kind of get to voice their experience and talk about it so I think that that can for sure be very rewarding for people I mean that's part of what therapy is all about right so yeah for sure I think that that can be beneficial the research that I do the quantitative stuff I don't know if necessarily an individual would leave a data collection session for my study feeling like, wow, that was really great. Like they might, they might find some of the stuff that I do with them interesting, but I don't think they're necessarily going to experience any like personal growth Mm -hmm. where I think that could be possible with qualitative research. But I think I hear from a lot of people, they're just so happy to kind of be giving back to the community because they do often feel that a brain injury is under um, under researched uh, it's not that well understood um, so they are really glad to just be helping out with the research so I think that can give them you know a nice sense of self-efficacy and yeah and from a neuropsychologist perspective mm-hmm. um, what is more useful to this research in terms of qualitative or quantitative? Yeah. I think it really depends on what you're studying mm-hmm. and how you intend to use it. So, for example, if either your practice or your, I guess your practice is um, mostly focused on more assessments, so measuring the deficits that somebody has after an injury in terms of like their memory, their language, their speed of thinking, those types of things, quantitative data is definitely what you need. You know, we need to know how well do these measures assess what we think they're assessing. Are they reliable? Like, do we expect the person to perform similarly if we give them the same test multiple times, that type of stuff. I think maybe if you're doing more therapeutic interventions, so kind of the, I'm using air quotes now, kind of typical psychologist, so therapy, then I think that qualitative could definitely be really useful. Quantitative definitely has its place in terms of therapy, just it helps us determine if specific uh, therapeutic approaches are useful. So does somebody experience a decrease in their symptoms from before to after the, the therapy? But in terms of what participants' experience is of the difficulties they have or their experience of returning to the community or whatever is being investigated, I think that qualitative definitely is where you're going to get a better idea of what the 
actual experience is like for somebody. Okay, so you discovered your love for neuropsychology during your third year mm -hmm. uh, in your undergrad. Yeah. What prompted you to take the neuropsychology course? Oh, I don't even really remember, to be honest. It's, yeah, I was just kind of always, even before I really knew that much about it, like you learn a little bit about the brain in the first couple of years of a psych undergrad degree. And I just found, yeah, like the brain aspect of psychology really interesting. And so when there was a course on, I can't remember what it was called, but it was something like human neuropsychology and just started learning about the really specific deficits that an individual can experience after damage to a small, certain little part of their brain. I was just, yeah, I was amazed. I was like, wow, that is yeah. You're doing your PhD yeah. mm -hmm. in neuropsychology. Did mm -hmm. you start out as an arts major or a sciences major? So for my undergrad, I got a BA. Okay. And so I did my undergrad at McMaster in Hamilton. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think that they're like if you did more of like a biopsychology, mm -hmm. which I didn't even really know was a thing when <laughs> I did my undergrad, to be honest. Yeah. Then you would get more of a, yeah, the, the BSc. I don't think there was an option to get a BSc in just psychology, but I could be wrong. Honestly, again, if there's any psych undergrads listening, I don't know how much of a difference it actually makes in terms of getting into grad school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. How is going from the more arts side of psychology into this very scientific um, neuropsychology mm -hmm field yeah well I think because of my focus in undergrad even though I got a BA I was taking more of like the bio psych type mm -hmm. courses so like I took a, a course where we did like the dissections of the sheep brains then you had to go around and remember all the names of the parts and yeah like advanced seminars in biopsychology or neuropsychology and McMaster is a very science focused school like they don't have a clinical psychology graduate program there so they just have an experimental so that um, I think that what is offered obviously what is offered for graduate programs is going to influence what is offered at the undergrad level so yeah so the courses were quite even in the arts like I was learning about you know language processes in the brain and so yeah it's still even though you know psychology is a soft science um, <laughs> um, I think even in the in the arts area you can still have there's still a lot of science in it how do you hope that your research will further uh, our understanding of the severity of mild TBIs? So what I'm hoping is that my research will help to help us know more about what are the factors that influence recovery. So what are the differences between an individual who has, you know, a really easy recovery and gets back to, you know, what they were doing and doesn't really feel like they have any lingering problems to compared to the person who has persistent difficulties. So I'm trying to kind of elucidate that a little bit. And there has been more research looking at that recently, but I'm hoping to add to it. And I think in terms of what I hope to get out of it, or what I hope it will do for the field is I hope it will help us figure out how to better treat individuals after more mild injuries often you know they an individual will go to the hospital maybe maybe they won't but they might if they do they're usually checked out and then they're sent on their way and so trying to figure out okay what are the factors that may give us an indication that this person 
may go on to have difficulties to maybe help us nip that in the bud or help us treat those individuals once they are at a place. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And in your opinion, who should we more so look at? Should we look at the patients who do recover very quickly, have no problems, or should we be looking at the patients who have a lot of trouble? I think we should look at both. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to get kind of a nice smattering kind of across the the spectrum. Yeah, because I think that uh, if you only look at individuals that are doing poorly, you might miss either some of the areas of resilience that they have in common with individuals who do well or you just don't have that information about what things might help bolster recovery that you can then help provide or strengthen in individuals that are having a more difficult recovery. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV 89.1.